0: Amen. How many living in the victory tonight? Praise God. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verses 24 through 30. We'll be reading there in a moment. There were some travelers on a boat tour in the Bahamas. How many would like to be there right now? Oh, everybody except Eddie. (laughs) So there was a traveler on a boat tour in the... Travelers on a boat tour in the Bahamas... And they were relieved after witnessing an incident that had taken place on the waters. Witnesses say they saw approximately a 12-foot-long hammerhead shark swimming in the waters, which was a rare treat for the tourists. They're in a big old boat. They're not in any danger. But their delight at witnessing this creature turned to horror when they witnessed a dog running off of the nearby dock and jumping into the water to confront the shark. That's not a fair fight. And in a video that was posted to social media, onlookers can be heard shouting at the dog, warning the dog, you know, because dogs speak English, <laughs> that the dog needs to get away from the shark. You're going to, you know, it's going to eat you and all that stuff. And they're warning the dog as the shark begins circling the dog. But inexplicably, the shark turns around and swims away. And one man exclaimed, I don't think the shark's going to mess with him. Well, he's gone, right? So the tour reservations manager, Rebecca Lightborn, says that she often sees the dog running along the shore to greet the boat, but she had never seen it dive in the water like that. She said, I guess this time the dog decided he wanted to protect his house, or maybe just play with the really big fish in the water, So he went after it. When the shark swam away from the pier, the medium-sized dog scrambled back to the rocks and lopped away like it was no big deal. You see, for us, as we face crisis in life, sometimes this can be the way we feel matched up. A dog in water versus a hammerhead shark. And of course, the dog came away victorious as he leaps into the water, barking at the shark. But sometimes our crisis doesn't just swim away when we puff up. You see, our crisis may not go away instantly, and we may not always feel as confident as a small dog facing a 12-foot hammerhead. But we can have confidence that God will bring us through, through this life, to something glorious and worth laboring for. So let's look at our text tonight, Luke 22, verse 24 through 60, which reads, A dispute also arose among them, speaking of Jesus' disciples, as to which of them was regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said to them, The king of the Gentiles exercises lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you, rather let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and let the leader as the one who serves. For who, is, uh, for who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So this evening I want to preach a sermon entitled, Kingdom Confidence. Let's pray. Father God, help us tonight. God, let your Spirit, God, uh, speak boldly and clearly to each and every person here tonight, God, that we would not leave this place, God, uh, without being spoken spoken to you us by you, God, that your spirit would help us, God, that you would help me, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So oftentimes we look at this text and we think it's purely inspired by ego, right? They're, they're talking about, no, I'm going to be the biggest, baddest dude in heaven. No, I am, you know, I, I, I am the greatest disciple, I am the greatest, and, and we tend to look at it as just some dudes like going like this to each other and trying to act all macho and tough and try to prove who is who's the better the better disciple or whatever and but the reality is they're concerned about their future that's really what it comes down to and we can perhaps relate on this level maybe not necessarily ego right not everybody's super egotistical But some of us have a fear or insecurity of our futures. And that's really what it boiled down to is they were arguing about their futures. They were worried about their future. They were even possibly questioning their future. And when we feel this way, when we begin to wonder what the future holds for us, or maybe doesn't hold for us, we tend to look out for ourselves. What's best for me? You see, this de- debate among the disciples takes place in a night when Jesus is talking about suffering, and the shedding of his blood, and betrayal, and denial. It, it's, a, it's a pretty heavy night. Jesus is, uh, this is when they have the Last Supper, when Jesus talks about his crucifixion, where he says, someone sitting at this very table is going to betray me, and so they're dealing with some heavy topics. So it's very understandable when you put it into context that these people would feel a grave sense of uncertainty about their future. That Jesus says, one of y'all is going to betray me. He doesn't doesn't point any of them out. He says, one of you guys is going to turn on me. And so they're sitting around this table. They're wondering, who is it going to be? Who is it going to be? Could it even be me? And so then they begin to revert to the opposite. They begin to argue who is the most loyal, who is the most faithful. It can't possibly be me. Don't you remember when I did that one thing with Jesus? Oh, you did that one thing, but what about me? You know, I'm, my rewards are going to be greater than yours in heaven. You see, it could even come down to their own self-doubt. Is it going to be me? Am I going to be the one that, rejects, that, 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 didn't, that betrays Jesus? And they begin to think within themselves, what, what could possibly make any one of us do this? What, what is it going to take for us to come to it? And then, you know, when you think about that, you begin to think, well, what is it about me that could make me do it? They begin to think about their own flaws and their own insecurities, their own issues. Jesus says, one of us is going to betray him. Of course, none of them even knew at this point that Judas had already made up his mind and he knew it was him. Like, we read that and we're like, yeah, it's Judas. They don't know. Sometimes you, the best way to read the Bible is to put yourself in their shoes. like Because we know the end of the story oftentimes, all the popular stories. But they're sitting around this table, and Jesus says, one of you guys is going to betray me. We know Judas was like, yeah, you had it coming, Jesus. Whatever was going on in his mind. But the other 11 are like, what? Which one of us would ever do that? And then they begin to think, it be me because I did slip up that one time what if I do it again and do it worse I'm kind of prone to this or, or you know they begin to get introspective about their own issues and sometimes our reactions to things like that can be to just talk good about ourselves right every single one of them in their own mind is thinking man how could it be me? It can't be me. What if it is me? I know I tend to do this. I know I'm that way. But with their mouth, they're saying, it ain't going to be me. I'm the biggest, baddest disciple this world's ever seen, you know. And they're, they're talking to each other and they're debating about which one of them has accomplished more for Jesus and which one of them has done more for the kingdom of heaven and which one of them is going to be in greater authority when they get there. But in their mind, we don't know what's going on. You know, people tend to put on a front of confidence. And usually, I shouldn't say usually, but a lot of the times, people who are the most confident are the most insecure. So they are dealing with these things that Jesus is talking about, and their response is to say, "Well, I'm going to be one of the greatest in the kingdom of heaven." So it can't be me. And ultimately, they were they were all right, right, except for Judas. But then. on the flip side of it, not only do they begin to question themselves, but that they're thinking, which one of you guys is questioning me? Which one of you guys look like John's sitting there and he's like, Peter looked at me kind of funny. <laughs> he thinks it's gonna be me. Or <laughs> what are you looking at, Andrew? <laughs> Thomas? You know, the, you begin to put persecution on yourself. You begin to put accusations on yourself that nobody even put on you because of your own insecurities. And so in times in in life when we feel accused, when we feel doubted, when we feel questioned by others, we tend to defend ourselves. Well, but one time I... Or you know that I always succeeded in this area. And... Of course, we don't know everything that took place that night. Maybe accusations were thrown around. We don't know. Yeah. But then it can be formed into resentment towards people who never actually accused you. Our insecurities can make those suspicions even more painful. Like, you ever suspect that somebody's suspicious of you, of something that's true, but you don't even know if they know about it? Yeah. The answer is yes. <laughs> you all have. <laughs> that's Every human, I think, has, has gone through that. And we get in this own little mind battle of our own head, thinking that everybody thinks we're the worst person on planet Earth. All 11 of you think, I'm the one that's going to betray Jesus. It ain't going to be me. Or maybe they begin to think about all that they've sacrificed for Jesus, all that they've sacrificed to follow Christ, all that they've sacrificed to labor over those years. They walked away from jobs, from businesses, from families. And, you know, they're talking about what glorious return they're going to get in heaven someday. And they begin to think for themselves, like, I'm not going to betray Jesus. I'm going to get the best reward in heaven because all that I've done, all that I've given up but somewhere in their mind, some of them may have been thinking, but what if, what if I did all of this just to blow it? And ultimately, whatever it was that was going through their minds, they all, all of these things involve their future. They have imagined their future. You know how I know that? Because everybody imagines their future. (laughs) It doesn't say it in the Bible. They're talking about their future. So they're imagining in this situation They 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 have imagined their future working out in a certain way Like y'all ever walk in the kingdom like in the will of God and you're like man I'm gonna walk down this path and it's gonna be awesome and then five years two years even a few months down the road You're like this is already taking a lot of turns that I did not expect But you're in the will of God So we have an expectation for our future. We have visions for our futures This was not a part of their vision. One of one of us, the us brothers, I mean, 12 men doing life together every single day for three years. This is not part of their plan. One of us betraying Jesus. That was never part of their future plan. Not like not even one of them who writes fictional books on the side was like, man, what a crazy plot twist. If one of us 12 betrayed Jesus. Right? This was not in their plan. They begin to wonder. They begin to think. They begin to be uncertain of what will happen, of what their future will hold. But Jesus reminds them, there is security in your service. You see, our best interest isn't served by looking out for number one, despite what the world teaches us, what the world tells us and they're talking about what i'm going to have what i'm going to do what i am who i've what i've accomplished and the world will tell you that you must look out for number 1 making sure that i am appreciated making sure i'm rewarded for my efforts making sure i'm recognized making sure i'm vindicated when somebody wrongs me and whatever happens to other people happens it doesn't matter as long as number 1's taken care of right that's the mentality of the world That's the mentality of our flesh. But Jesus wants to get their eyes off of their own insecurities and their own issues because this is not going to lead them to a secure place. And that's what he's trying to show them that their future is a kingdom, their future is heaven. And that is the most profound amount of security that anyone could experience. You see, Jesus then responds to their arguments. And many people view it as a rebuke. But if you really look closely at the, w- the way Jesus is speaking to them, in reality, he's not rebuking them. He's leading them out of their fear. He's helping them see things with the right mind. Your greatest security is my kingdom. That's what he tells them. And that is experienced by serving one another. That's the reminder he gives them. Not self-interest, but serving your brothers and sisters. Verses twenty-three through 26-27 uh, through 27, rather, of our text, Jesus uh, interrupts the argument. And he gets down to the issue and he says, But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. So he's telling you, you think you're the best of the best? then serve the lowest. For who is the greater one, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus reminding them. you remember who I am? I'm the King of Kings. I'm Jesus Christ. I'm the Messiah. But here I am serving you. He's reminding them that the character of God's kingdom is servitude. And he expresses the character of the king as a servant. That Jesus Christ says, I'm not sitting around waiting for you guys to wait on me hand and foot because I am the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He's reminding them, y'all are arguing amongst yourselves, don't you remember who's sitting here right next to you? And what am I doing? I'm serving. Jesus is reminding them that greatness is found in servitude to one another. And we can serve from a place of security in the hands of God. That we can serve people and find security in our lives through this. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, which says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, And that he should depart from the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel with which he was girded." Think about this text. How powerful of what it just says is. That Jesus, knowing that his death is imminent, his time is coming to an end, but also simultaneously knowing that he is sent from God, he is of God, and he's going back to God. Also knowing that Judas, you see, the other eleven didn't know, Jesus knew, that Judas was going to betray him. And through all of that, he found security in knowing who he was and where he was going that despite the painful death that was coming his way, that he knew was coming his way, despite the fact that one of the men that he poured his life into for years was going to betray him, despite all of that, he was confident because he knew where he was going. And because of that confidence, he was able to reduce himself to the lowest of lows of servitude. That was the lowest job in a house, was to clean people's feet, right? We don't have to use our imaginations much to wonder why. It's not a fun job. But because he was secure in who God was and where he was going, he could reduce himself in this way to clean the feet of the disciples, including Judas. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that he washed everybody's foot and got to Judas. He was like, nope, and then went to the next one. Think about that. Jesus Christ washed the feet of Judas, who was going to betray him, and he knew it. You see, when our hearts are right with God, we can live like this. When our trials are facing us, Christ was facing some trials. We read about the Garden of Gethsemane. Christ was stressed out. He was, he was feeling it. He was anxious. When we face the trials of our lives, when we come against the, the, the issues and the challenges of our lives, we can face them with complete confidence knowing who Christ is and where we're going and who we're serving. And because of that, we can serve even our enemies. Isn't what the Bible says to do? To love your enemies? To pray for those who persecute you? That's exactly what Jesus did. Not just to Judas, but to dozens of other people, hundreds of other people. He prayed for the people who hung him on the cross while he was hanging on the cross. And that is the heart of the King of Kings. The heart that we are to embody, that we can serve people even when we're facing tremendous grief tremendous trials because we know that no matter what we face our eternity is in heaven and he's reminding his disciples of this he said it's not about how big and bad you are it's about who are you serving it's about where you're going the greatest thing that we can do for our future is to serve the king of kings by serving his people in the kingdom Hebrews 12, 28 says, Therefore, since we are uh, receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. That's a a pretty powerful statement. We are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. So let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence. Reverence and godly fear That's that's what we have to look for that we are going to a place that cannot be shaken Like it doesn't take much in in in, on this world to shake a kingdom if you will We don't really call them that anymore except for maybe the United Kingdom Right, but even the greatest nation on earth America. We got shook in pretty heavenly heavily in 2001 We've, we've been shaken before in, in times of history, at you know, Pearl Harbor and all these other historic events. The most powerful country on earth can still even be shaken, but we have an inheritance of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's what the Bible says. This is our place of security that we know where we're going. We're going to a place that can't be touched by the enemy. We're going to a place that can't be touched by anything, that cannot be shaken, so we must have grace and serve God and serve God's people. This is our place of security, to serve God, the King of kings, the King of the kingdom that we're going to, to serve the people of God. Mark 9.35 says, speaking of Jesus, And he sat down, called the twelve and said to them, "If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and a servant of all." This is Jesus, this is a common trend with Jesus. He's reminding them, we must be humble. that we're not just doing jobs, like we're not just doing ministry, we're not just doing things for God, but we're serving people. That Jesus Christ himself reduced himself to the lowest possible level as a house servant so that he could exemplify to us what we must do. That we can lower ourselves to serve those to express the love of Jesus Christ to them. You see, this response from Jesus to his disciples was really a commendation, an encouragement, an uplifting and we tend to look at it as a rebuke, and Jesus would rebuke his disciples. He's done it before. In fact, not long after this takes place, Jesus literally calls Peter Satan in a rebuke. He tells him, Peter, Peter starts talking, and, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. It's like, pfft. but this ain't that. That's not what this is. He's trying. He is. and not trying. He's, he is giving them hope. In our text, we see by the way he talks, if we really look at it, he's not rebuking them. Look at verse 28. He's commending them. He says, But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. He's reminding them, You guys have served faithfully. Stop getting all insecure. Stop worrying about who's greater, who's better. You have stuck with me, and I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Think about that. Like, They probably all were like, oh, okay. Except for Judas, right? But it meant a lot to Jesus, right? That's what he's expressing to them, that, that you guys have stuck with me. You, look, you read through the Gospels, and Jesus caught a lot of flack from some very high and lofty people. And the disciples continued to follow him. Never once did, they, did the twelve say, You know what? This is getting to be a little bit too tense for me. Peace. He's commending them in this. You have stood by me in my trials. The message translation, as silly as it can be sometimes, says, You have stuck with me through thick and thin. It wasn't about their successes or their failures. It was about them just simply staying faithful to Jesus. Think about this. Earlier in the Gospels, when Jesus is trying to compel this crowd of people what life is all about, That He is the bread of life. The Bible says that many of His disciples left Him after that because it was a difficult teaching for them to hear. You guys, I don't know if you know this, He had way more than just 12 disciples. Those were just His main 12. And the Bible says that many of His disciples stopped following Him at this teaching because it was getting a little difficult to bear. And the Bible accounts that He turns to Him and says, Will you also go away? And they didn't. Peter says, where shall we go? We've invested everything into you, man. You have the answers for eternal life. We ain't going anywhere. We're in this. He's reminding them, you guys have stuck with me through this. He's commending them for their faithfulness. And then he's bestowing kingdom confidence upon them. Verse 29 from our text, he tells them, I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my Father bestowed one upon me. He's reminding them, we're going somewhere else. We're not going to stay here forever. And we know that Jesus is the King of kings, right? We know that he was perfect. We know he was God in the flesh. He was worthy of receiving the kingdom, right? But we're not. And we can become insecure about this just as the disciples were. They're insecure and they're arguing. They're showing their imperfections. And Jesus is reminding them, listen, it's not about what you've done. It's about who you serve. Are you serving me? Are you serving people by serving me? He's reminding them that when you stand with me, you will inherit the kingdom of God. They're not always going to stand perfect. We're not always going to be perfect as we follow God. But Jesus is reminding them there is dignity that He can bestow upon us by being faithful to Him, by serving people. Even when we serve people, we won't even be perfect. Like we'll try to help somebody out, we make their issues worse. <laughs> it happens. But what Christ has for us in, eternal, in eternity is greater than any level of success or recognition that we can accomplish in this life. Mark 10, 28-30, then, uh, then Peter began to say to him, him being Jesus, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, There is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with uh, persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus is reminding them that everything you've given up, it's going to be worth it. Everything you sacrifice for God's kingdom, there will come a time when it will all pay off. That there will be blessing, both in this life and in eternity. And that we will receive dignity. Through Christ and only through Christ. Verse 30 from our text says that he's telling the disciples that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Think about that. That we were once enemies of God, and then now he's inviting us to have dinner with him. And he's telling his his disciples that you will be enthroned. It says also in verse 30 that you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He's reminding them that you have a place of authority, of dominion, of influence. Now, we might not sit on thrones and judge, judge the tribes of Israel, but we have promises in heaven. We will sit at the table with Christ, and we will sit With God, and we will experience His presence, and we will be given a dignity and rewards in heaven that we cannot accomplish here. Jesus is expressing to them that He expects them to see beyond the present crisis that they're facing to look forward to an immeasurable and glorious destiny. That's what we have before us. We don't always know what our future holds, but when we put our future in God's hands, we have an immeasurable and glorious destiny ahead of us. You know, sometimes life doesn't always feel that glorious. And actually right before the service I was talking we I was talking to Eddie about prosperity and, and what God can and can or can and won't do, right? We're talking about how some people don't have riches because God knows they can't handle it; it'll ruin them. And we talked about the the apostle Paul, how he was known as one of the greatest, uh, you know, men in the New Testament, and how much he accomplished. But you read his stories, and the reality is, it doesn't look like he really actually experienced much prosperity. He wasn't rich, you know. He wasn't loaded. He wasn't driving a Tesla. Sometimes our life doesn't feel that glorious. And sometimes there's certain things in our life that we envision, that we feel like we are worth, or that we feel like is owed to us, that we may never see. But what we can count on, what we can put all of our eggs in the basket of, is eternal life. Blessings on this earth, they come and they go. Some bigger, some smaller. Just like the trials. They come and they go. But eternity is what we really are putting everything into, what we really are looking forward to. And that's what Jesus is reminded to, uh, uh, reminding them, and he's reminding us, that all of these things we have to look forward to, they won't be revealed to us in this life. We might not understand everything we face, but we can trust God's heart. We can trust His will and His plan. That we will one day experience joy and dignity in heaven. That we can glorify God with this life. And He's reminding them this security, this confidence, this eternal kingdom confidence is found in a life where you place your hope in Christ and you serve your brothers and your sisters. What would Jesus do? He would serve people. That's what he did do. Jesus came and lived a life of exemplary service. That means it's an example for us to copy. To the point to where we can even get down and wash the feet of our enemies. Because Jesus says when you understand who I am and when you understand where you're going you will love people like I've loved you and you will serve people like I've served you and you will serve your enemies like I've served mine. Jesus is reminding them you, your security is found in serving. Serving Christ and serving those around you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this evening.